0: Hello and welcome to the Jubitate Podcast. Your home for underreported topics of the day. Traversing the world, searching for sanity. All right, welcome to the Jubitate Podcast. I'd like to welcome our guest, Peter Colliery, who, uh, along with his partner, recently acquired the new American Ultimate. Disc League franchise, Boston Glory. Welcome, Peter. Thanks, Sanj. Well, now, you've uh, had quite an interesting experience in uh, evaluating and acquiring, building, and marketing this new franchise uh, during very, very interesting times. And, And of course, you've had to deal with the impact of the coronavirus on the 2020 season. But before we get to that, is it Boston Glory or the Boston Glory?
1: Boston I would say Boston glory I don't know that we're I don't know
0: that we formalized it, but I would say Boston glory I think it rolls off the tongue pretty nicely so yep. you, you're a Boston guy I know that from your truly fanatical love of the Red Sox do you originally hail from there
1: yeah from Amherst Massachusetts as a kid
0: I've been to Amherst quite a lot for uh, um, at UMass for the ultimate affair and of uh-huh. course uh, uh you know in younger days partying in amherst and uh, and and environs in and- uh, Hampshire college.
1: Hampshire was a big, uh, in the big early days of ultimate Hampshire was a big ultimate venue.
0: That's right. How did you, you mentioned Hampshire and, you know, in the early days of ultimate, how did you get involved with the sport to begin with? And I know you play as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, when I was graduating from high school, which was not Amherst high school, but uh, I went away to boarding school when I was graduating from high school, my senior year, I organized, you know, with a faculty advisor, I organized, um, intramural ultimate Frisbee as a sport at my, this is 1977. So the, the game was quite young, uh, as a sport at my, uh, uh, at my school for the senior spring term. And so we had, I don't know, 30 or 40 people. And we played, uh, we played ultimate every day. And I got a huge kick out of it. I played a little more intramurally at in college. As you have personal reason to know, I have very little skill at the game, even though I enjoy it.
0: I'll contest um, that a bit here
1: <laughs> and uh, and um, like twenty odd years ago we got a pickup game going in the town that, that I live in Pelham New York and uh, it's just been a it's been a it's been a blessing in my life we play three or four times a week uh, it's a game you played in a lot and um, it's just so much fun so i've I've really as I'm, you know, 61 years old now, and I'm still running around like a kid, playing a game like a kid, and I just value it tremendously.
0: I didn't realize that um, you were only what is it, nine years removed from the advent of the sport uh, to when you started organizing uh, those pickup games.
1: Yeah, it was. It, it's yeah, and and I mean, I don't even know how we knew of the existence of it, but we did. And uh, I remember we sent, you know, this is way pre-internet, obviously. We sent to. We had some knowledge that there was a team at MIT, and we sent to the ultimate frisbee team, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Cambridge, Mass. We sent a letter (laughs) challenging them to a to a game. We never heard back from them, but that's basically how things
0: were back then. That's amazing. Yes, there's some evidence of some of those early letters that folks post in the uh, Masters and Grandmasters forums uh, on Facebook and and other places. And it's amazing to realize that you have to send the letter. You have to wait a few days. You have to then, um, adjust any planning. And then it's two, three, four weeks later before you can actually have a game. And, and that is a completely foreign, um, model, uh, to how, how, um, the sport is organized now and how things get done.
1: We actually, we had in Pelham, we had before I, before the the pickup game has been going for 20 years, maybe five years before that. Uh, a local fellow tried to organize some games, and it just didn't take. And this the distinction between those two efforts was the invention of the internet. It's just made things so much easier to organize and publicize, and for people of of you know similar interests to find each other. And I, I don't, you know, this game we have is absolutely thriving now, and I don't think it would have existed if it weren't for the internet.
0: Well, tell us how you got involved in bidding on and acquiring this franchise. You were you're happily playing your uh, uh pickup games you have um the proximity of uh new york empire which is the new york uh, american ultimate disc league um current reigning champion and yep, you'll yeah and and you also have uh, a nearby uh couple of summer leagues uh that go on one in uh at suny purchase one over in rockland county and um some other pickup games in the area. So you're happily playing. And then how does the Boston franchise even become an idea?
1: Well, um, there was a fellow named Steve Hall who we used to play ultimate with uh, for many years or quite a number of years. And he moved to um, North Carolina and he ended up and he played, he was a good player and he had a history of the game. He ended up being the owner of the team, the Charlotte team in North Carolina, I think. Um, and then when that team folded, he ended up as a part owner of the Atlanta team, the Atlanta Hustle, and then became the commissioner of the league. Um, and he is, in my opinion, an extraordinarily capable guy. And anyway, even before he became the commissioner, when he was the owner, I think that long wanted to have a franchise in Boston. It's a, it's a great ultimate town. Um, and it didn't make sense that they didn't have a franchise. That there had been a history of litigation with the uh, I think with the former owner of the other team, the uh, uh, major league all I don't even know the whole story, but it was anyway, there's some complicated history that had made it difficult for them to to sell a franchise in Boston. And so Steve started talking to me about doing it, and I really thought it was would be a fun, fun, fun idea. But at the same time, I was, uh, you know, leery because I wasn't going to be physically president Boston. And if I've heard anything about, you know, sports franchises, and in particular, you know, you know, minor league sports franchises, it is that you need somebody on the ground selling, 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 and managing costs, managing costs, managing costs. And I wasn't going to be able to do any of that. And, um, so I was very, very hesitant to do it. Um, the way this ultimately, the way this ultimately came together was that um, a friend of mine, who I had played ultimate with for a num- number of years and was a great friend of mine, came to me when I was wrestling with the question of doing it and said, "Well, why don't we do it together?" And that made things so much better. It made it, um, you know, both less expensive. I was only going to bear half the cost that I would have otherwise had to bear, and more fun because he's a great friend of mine and we got to work together. And um, and, uh, you know, less burdensome because he was able to do some of the work. So with him having suggested that, it sort of pushed me over the top to decide that we wanted to do it. And uh, late last year, uh, we committed to to buying the franchise.
0: Uh, obviously, momentum builds when you have somebody else that you're doing it with and you have a great partnership with him. Um, but di- weren't you were you not still daunted by the aspect of it being remote and not Forget about whether you could be effective or not, but it, it feels less tactile, right? To not your, have your fingers on it the same way. Um, how did you overcome that challenge? And were there any other challenges that you want to talk about?
1: Um, that challenge was overcome by the assembly of a really good team. Um, we hired a guy named Matt Little to be the general manager. Uh, he has really deep roots in the Boston Ultimate Community um, he in turn introduced us to a fellow named Jay Tallerman, who um, is is titled our director of operations. Um, he is fantastic. Um, and then between them, uh, we turned up, um, you know, a, a guy who had a history with MLU, who's gonna who's gonna run our game day operations. We turned up a guy who's got five years in uh, in. Uh, uh you know the publicity slash pr business who's doing that for us um we uh we have a guy doing social media who uh works at mit and does all the social media for their club teams and stuff like that so we just assembled a, a really deep team we we got um we got i don't know 50 or 60 people who contacted us after the team was announced who expressed an interest in volunteering in one form or another
0: we oh, have, That's remarkable, right. just by word of mouth.:
1: Well, yeah, you know there was a there was a press release, an AUDL press release or something, but in a way you know, there was a website that you could you could contact if you wanted to uh, volunteer. One thing that's kind of interesting, Sanj, is we are trying' we're, it's, it's a very nascent effort, but we are trying to figure out if we can sort of um, apply some of the advanced analytics that you see in so many other sports. Um, to this, and we have a handful of people who are like really smart and capable and really thinking about that area um, and we have some ideas that that we're trying to work on for that we we had a we got an opportunity to speak with the former head of analytics from the Milwaukee bucks and he gave us a bunch of insights that were more sort of philosophical than practical you know just insights about how we ought to go about building this analytic effort um, but that was really helpful and really fun and um, so we just have a Bunch of great people, who, you know, almost exclusively are working on a volunteer basis, um, and are really fired up to to try to see this thing succeed. So that that, you know, definitely puts your mind at rest uh, uh, with respect to a lot of those concerns.
0: That's amazing. What kind of um, team, uh, both the core team and the extended uh, group of volunteers that you've been able to assemble? Because uh, we had a chat one time after one of our pickup games and when we went to the pub and it seemed like, you know, you were just evaluating, um, uh, jumping in with both feet, but from that moment to now seems like it's come a, a long way.
1: I think it has. I mean, it's sort of amazing. You know, we have, we have tons of, we have a logo. We have tons of merchandise in our store. We have, you know, until the COVID happened, we had a schedule. We had, you know, I mean, it was like a real thing. We have, we have a roster. We have, we have 40 fantastic players. We have a coaching staff. There's an awful lot of stuff that came together. Um, and it was really going to be, I think it was going to be an awful lot of fun this year.
0: So I want to ask you about that. So um, uh, first, I just want to mention, I think the logo is fantastic. As far as the, the um, you mentioned about the roster. Now there are 20, uh, 21 other teams in the league, right? And, yep. and we mentioned the current residing champion right here in New York is the New York Empire. Um, what was your strategy to recruit? And I guess I, I'll ask this tongue in cheek as well. Is there a player tampering rule in Ultimate yet? There is
1: there I think there is. And there's a there's a very talented guy on The Empire from Boston. And I sent him an email after we formed the franchise. And I was a little leery about the tampering. I didn't I think you're not allowed to talk to a player who's under contract. And I didn't know if he was under contract at the time or not. But anyway, I, I never got a response from him, but I sent him an email and they reached the uh, they have breached the uh, the tampering rules. Um, um, the, with respect to the assembly of the roster, it was really a matter of just getting words out, word out to the community. We had tryouts, getting words word out to the community uh, uh, about the fact that there was going to be this team, and we were doing tryouts. And we had um, I don't know, I can't remember uh, seventy or more people try out for the you know in a in a, in a we had two tryouts and lousy weather and like February in Boston. Yeah, I mean it was the word got out in the community that the team is existed and was doing tryouts, uh, and uh, yeah, and we had a we had a you know very significant number of people try out.
0: Now, for those for those of us whose prime is behind us, tell us about how uh, hard tryouts were, what was involved, and what criteria you used.
1: I was only there. I, again, I didn't, I delegated the, the criteria stuff to, um, to the coaching staff, but I will say that it was not a combo type thing. It wasn't like measuring, you know, having people sprint and measuring their times and seeing how high people jump and stuff. It was the second one. Anyway, was substantially, um, scrimmages. Um, I thought the caliber of play was terrific. I actually, uh, assembled and you can look at it on YouTube. If you want, there's a, uh, Boston glory second tryout, uh, slideshow. Um, and there are some really, really terrific players, but, uh, but the coaches basically, you know, matched people up in scrimmages and, uh, and watched and made notes and got together shortly afterwards and, and selected the team.
0: Okay. Uh, w- um, you can share that, uh, link to, uh, uh, and I'll put it in the notes. Where did the folks come from? Where are these players from? Are they from colleges, from the club teams
1: I think for the most part, they're from club teams, including a significant number of guys who play mixed, you know, which is to say co-ed ultimate. Um, um, But it was, you know, mostly club teams.
0: Now, more and more kids are playing the sport. So what would you tell them? The reason I asked you how tryouts went and and, um, uh, what criteria you used, what would you uh, tell any kids who are currently um dreaming of of you know making it to the big league so to speak if, if that was their goal uh, just
1: keep playing ultimate it's so much fun you know i wouldn't i wouldn't sweat you're you're not going to get rich playing it even if you even if you play professionally so just if it's fun for you keep playing it and and if the road leads you there that's where it leads you
0: well that's good advice so it took roughly 40 years for baseball and i know you're a huge baseball fan um you know it, it in the, um, I guess 1830s to 1850s, uh, it was more amateur level, uh, in the, let's say 1850s, it was, or 1860s, it was more semi pro. And then it was the emergence of the pro leagues in the 1870s. So maybe, uh, about 40 years from inception or, or, uh, amateur to a pro league, um, and, and not pro league, not meaning hugely commercially successful. But still, and then ultimate started in the late 60s, 1960s. We recently had the 50th, 50th anniversary of the sport. So, can ultimate become as larger, as large as the larger pro leagues that we have now?
1: I have no idea. <laughs> I have no honestly. I have no idea. There are so many people with so many sports that they all think are fantastic, and that they, you know, they are lacrosse leagues and and. Uh, You know, I I don't know. I mean, there are all kinds of stuff. There's, you know, women's football leagues and people are trying to do beach volleyball. And God knows there are a gazillion uh, uh, of these things that are competing for attention and, and fan dollars. The only thing I'll say about ultimate is it is such a good game. It's such an incredible game. Every, every game displayed at a high level has four or five plays in it that are just spectacular guys, you know, skying to catch the disc or laying out to catch the disc or making incredible defense uh, or, or some guy throwing the thing 80 yards end-to-end end and, and, you know, hitting, hitting his receiver in stride. So I do feel like it's an amazing game and it has a lot to offer. Um, and I do feel like the people who are charged with making it grow at the league, including Steve Hall, but not exclusively him, are fantastic so I think we're going to give it our best shot, but I have no idea if it's going to succeed or not.
0: Uh, what does the league think? What is their uh, growth plan for the next 10 years? And how do they feel about
1: it? I think that they feel, I think that they are doing a lot of really creative things to grow the sport and to grow the league. They are, they are, um, they did a new uh, video deal this year with Fox sports Two, where Wednesday they're going to be, there's going to be a game of the week show. And again, all of this is sort of suspended owing to, uh, owing to the coronavirus, but they were going to show a game of the week on Fox Sports 2 every Wednesday. They've made, uh, they've made arrangements with people who do uh, online betting to permit online betting on, on our games. They've developed their own um, uh, subscription channel, uh, AUDL.TV, which, which provides uh, access to every game uh, that's played in the AUDL. And I know that they're spending a lot of time now thinking about marketing and how they can spend money. How the, how the league and the teams can spend money, trying to develop the sport uh, through targeted um, and thoughtful marketing. So those are all things I know, you know, that they're working on. And they really are. Those guys, they work like crazy. They're they're very professional, very thoughtful, and really, really, really hardworking.
0: Yeah. Well, so I asked that question because, uh, as you know, I'm thoroughly biased and i think it's a it's a sport of amazing uh competitiveness uh grace uh athleticism you know a, a fast moving all the no kind contact, of elements no head trauma <laughs> that's right <laughs> no head trauma all of those characteristics to me uh point to a pretty bright future but i was just wondering if um the the idea was the league felt that maybe in 20 years we'd get there or in 5 years or and i guess it's still too uncertain to be able to say with any precision
1: i think that they i think that they are engaged in some planning now that with with a 10 year sort of time horizon
0: so turning our attention back to boston glory what's what's the schedule uh
1: it normally runs from april through um you know through the summer with uh, with the, uh, the finals in September, I think.
0: Well, the NBA has their reduced twenty two team format coming up in Orlando, and they're gonna play it that way. But what are you guys gonna do? Conduct a full season or are you gonna shorten it? No I,
1: I think it's inconceivable we'll conduct a full season. Um, I don't know whether we will conduct any season. I know that they're working very hard to try to figure, you know, try to salvage something. But I just I think it's premature to say right now what form that would take if it, if if it would happen at all.
0: Oh, I see. Okay, so no announcement has been made to a start yet. I th- I thought I might have no. seen that, but it hasn't. Okay.
1: Now there was some there was some talk in UltiWorld World about you know a particular proposal that would have resulted in a July third restart, um, but I don't think that proposal. That, I, I can say that that proposal is not final. There are no final proposals.
0: Well, let's keep our fingers crossed and see if we can get it going. Um, I love watching. Uh, the, uh, the games, I know that they're streamed live. And uh, also in watching the replays, a lot of those replays make it to SportsCenter top 10 on ESPN yeah. and uh, just phenomenal displays of athleticism. I agree with you. Some jaw dropping plays like virtually every game. Yeah. Uh, Peter, I, I know you mentioned or alluded to your, um, uh, your business partner in this. I also play ultimate with him as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about, uh, your friendship and how long it goes back?
1: It goes back. Oh boy. So we lived, uh, in adjacent yards. I'm still in the same house I was in. We lived in adjacent yards when our daughters, um, who are now in their late, you know, mid late twenties, mid twenties, I guess his, his is getting married this weekend. Um, were like three years old and i um a little presumptuously i we had a wall between our backyards and before we were particularly good friends I a little bit presumptuously built a staircase down from our yard into his um, but that turned out to have been a, uh, a a wise uh a wise initiative because we became great friends our kids were great friends um and this was you know this was more than twenty years ago um he was He's more athletic than I am. He was a uh, a second string. Uh, uh, it's, his name is Rob Rocco, second string um, uh, uh, lacrosse goalie at Dartmouth, and uh, he started playing the game. He was he was he's prone to injury and was reluctant in you know in middle age to uh, to do too many competitive sports, but he started playing the game uh, under my encouragement, and you know he came to to enjoy it for all the same reasons that all the rest of us enjoy it and it was for a long time a uh, a, a very avid player he plays less frequently now because of brittle bones and old age and so forth but uh we still get him out there on the field every once in a while <laughs>
0: uh i have first-hand observation both of you guys have phenomenal field awareness and uh it, you know we could tell that um well i don't know if you used to run when you were younger or uh if you played any other sports you played pickup obviously ultimate but um, you know, you you definitely uh look like you have that kind of awareness and and it's clear that uh Rob also has that field spacing. Um, he's really good at setting his cuts up and and uh, you know losing his man.
1: Well it's nice to hear it, Sanj.
0: Well, Peter, I, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Are there any shout-outs to anybody in the Boston Glory community, the emerging community? Any links you want I, to share?
1: I would just I would just say that it has been really, really touching the way, you know, we've been, we've been embraced by the community. Um, You know, just people buying merchandise and people buying season tickets. And, you know, we were talking to them, well we want to refund your season ticket and they're like, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe, you know, you should hang on to it or maybe you should use it for, you know, let me use it for merchandise or it just is a, uh, I don't think I've had a bad experience. I might've had one bad experience with a guy that I was trying to, Get field space from who worked for the city of Boston. Other than that, I don't think I've had a single bad experience. Everything has just been positive and and encouraging and upbeat. And I really can't wait to get going. I think we're going to have an awful lot of fun. And I think I you know I hope it's uh, I hope it's going to come to be uh, be a real asset for for Boston and and just a really fun experience for the people who choose to get involved in it.
0: Excellent, excellent. And uh, just to protect your future ability to get field space. We'll just say he was having a bad day that day, that one example.
1: Was... <laughs> well, I, I'm, it's almost certain he's going to hear about this because I'm sure the podcast is going to be incredibly popular. So yeah, let's, let's try to be diplomatic.
0: <laughs> well, Peter, I found your story about launching this franchise to be fascinating and further complicated by the pandemic. And I was very interested for our listeners to hear about it. So thank you so much for sharing it with us. today.
1: Well, thank you for having an interest,
0: son. All right. Be well. Please visit jubitate.com for links and source material for this podcast. We welcome listener feedback and ideas for future shows. If you are a podcast
1: host and would like to be cross-linked to your podcast, please email info at jubitate.com.
0: Till next time, when we once again traverse the world, searching for sanity.